just say if I said that I could bring him back? I guess I'd say I never thought of that. Well, all right, hold tight. You might want to stand back because one small John is coming intact. St. John forward, spitting out some more words, fully intact. Jacked, ready to rap and attack. Small John on your lawn, living like a gnome. Hit you with my lyrics like a bullet to your dome. Tonight when he comes up here, he's either going to kill or he's going to suck. But there's no in-between for Mr. John Forward. Welcome to St. John Forward Radio. I am your host, John Forward. That's the show's named after me, uh, if you didn't catch that. Um, this one is being pre-recorded, but normally this show is on every Monday night from 9 till 10 p.m. on local 107.3 FM. We're still going to be going out there on Monday. It's not going to be live, but uh, especially if you're on video, uh, you'll notice that, uh, that this is being recorded in the, uh, the luxurious four-story walk-up studios. The uh, other podcast I do with RF Hussein and Brian Godso. I've got a special international comedy superstar guest, uh, Brian Giles, all the way from uh, from Maine. We're going to talk to him. He's he's uh, dab smack in the middle of a weekend at uh, at Punchlines. We uh, I saw him last night. He's going to be doing it on tonight. It'll all be over by the time that you hear this, but. Uh, Brian Giles is here, but uh, before we get into the comedy superstardom of the international nature, um, we, we should say some words about the poor queen. She passed away this week. Um, a lot of people are being very mean on the internet about it. I don't really have an opinion one way or another about the lady. Yeah, I, don't, I, I, I have mixed thoughts about the institution, but I don't even know what the queen does or ever really did. That's, uh, I don't know. Everybody's being mean, but uh, I just wanted to, uh, uh, you know, uh, you guys all know that uh, that I would like to uh, abolish the government, it's, you know, <laughs> standard, standard stuff, you know, anarcho-capitalism. But uh, in the in the uh, in the context of, uh, you know, people are are thinking about the monarchy these days, I've actually uh, read uh, compelling arguments why uh, actually. I've, I've got this book. This is a very good book if you're interested. It's called Democracy, the God that Failed by uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe. And uh, he, he's, he's a fellow anarcho-capitalist, but uh, he makes the case. That's not what the whole book's about, but he makes the ca a case in there why he would prefer no kind of uh, top-down authority, but uh, he makes a case that... Uh, Given the options, monarchy is uh, is preferable to democracy, and uh, I found somebody posted this uh, this uh, short clip that uh, you know it's not the whole argument. You can read the whole book if you want, but uh, here's uh, two minutes and forty six seconds of Hans Hermann Hoppe spitting fire on St. John Forward Radio. A king comes to power by accident of birth. Okay. He might be a bad guy. There are many bad guys, many bad kings in history. Nobody will deny this. But first thing has to be considered is this. A king is, of course, expected by his own dynasty to just 
keep the dynasty alive. After all, they are family who want to in, inherit this stuff. If the guy gets too crazy, then his own family will see to it that he will be surrounded by people who control him. And if that doesn't work, they will assign some close relative or distant relative to make the guy a cut, a, a head shorter. Um, so kings were frequently killed because of these sorts of things. On the other hand, because he comes to power by accident of birth, kings are, of course, people who can be nice guys. Um, uh, just nice daddies, nice grandpas, and so forth, who do nice things and uh, are concerned about the wilderness and this and that, and leaves the people more or less, more or less alone. Uh, think of... Uh, Think of a guy like Prince Charles, if he would, if he would be the absolute ruler of, uh, of Australia, I think he would definitely be an advantage of, over your current rulers. <laughs> On the other hand, if you ask yourself, how do, how do people rise to the top in a democracy? The answer is, you must be an intelligent bad guy in order to rise to the top. Um, imagine you would say, I will, not, I will protect private property, I will not raise taxes, I will not engage in any type of redistribution. Those, I, I will abolish all types of welfare handouts. Um, what are your chances that you will rise to the top uh, in, in, in a big country? The answer is, you can forget it. Um, Democracy is, so to speak, the guarantee that only bad people will rise to the top, and the more so, the larger the country is. That might not be the case in a small village of 100 people where everybody knows each other and they know how they acquired their position, but as soon as the masses of people are large enough so that nobody knows from whom you steal and so forth, the worst people will rise to the top. There we have it. Hans Hermann Hoppe, brief, uh, you know, brief argument uh, on the uh, benefits of monarchy versus democracy. Thoughts? Uh, I, I wasn't prepared for something of that depth, but hmm, and I, that's a that's a think piece. Like I, I don't know. I think it's pretty succinct way to put it that you know a king could be a bad guy or could be a good guy, but in order to democracy basically ensures that it's only ever bad guys do you think it's only ever bad guys Truly? yes yes yeah i don't know if i agree with that i mean i think i think we've had some good presidents and some bad presidents not necessarily like it's inherently no matter who it is it's not about like their personality or anything like that they're still in a position where through force and threats and coercion are extracting money from people that did, that aren't necessarily voluntarily giving it to you in order to redistribute it to in the best case scenario needy poor people in the actual scenario your rich pals yeah, mostly i mean i think obviously there's there's lobbying that happens and i think there's there there's a lot of backdoor it's, it's still it's kind of like the the cop argument even if a particular policeman might be a nice fellow if you ask if I ask you, have you ever kidnapped an innocent person and put them in a cage in your life? No, no, I haven't. No. Ask that to a good cop. The answer is probably yes. 
You've, he's arrested at least one person who he kidnapped and put into a cage that was later exonerated because they didn't do anything. True story. And even the good cops cover for the bad cops or look the other way. So, therefore, QED, all cops are bastards. <laughs> <laughs> all politicians also. I think they're worse. You but. have large cojones, my man. Large cojones. They don't watch this. It's okay. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in in and of itself, me even saying that is is sort of validating your point, right? That we have to be terrified to to speak our piece when it comes to um, authority figures for fear of repercussion, right? That yeah, like, it's, it's like if if I mug you, but I use the money to buy something nice for you or for somebody who needs it, I've still mugged you. I'm still a bad guy. It's true. Even the ends don't justify the means. Yeah, you know, Robin Hood was uh, was a, a crook, right? He was robbing people out there. Well, you know, I, I don't know the the full non Disney version of uh, of the Robin Hood. There's a little bit of you know they stole it from us. The evil tax collector comes in and takes it, and we're taking a little bit of it back. There's an argument to be made there sure. that it's it's self defense. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the perfect government is though. I mean, I don't. There I, isn't like, one. The perfect government is a voluntary one. I mean, any, anything, if whatever, whatever your version of a good government is, is something that you would sign up for and you don't need to be coerced. If you don't want to, if you want to outsource whatever decisions, there's a million different decisions that affect your life. Whatever level of that you want to just hand it over to an expert or to a certain voluntary collective, you're allowed to do that. The problem with a government is that you can't opt out. Right. Fair enough. However, I think that given like when you talk about anarcho-capitalism, I feel like there are there are more bad people and incompetent people in the world that left to their own devices would, I mean, eventually they would just, I, I don't know, they would destroy everything. Okay, let me put it to you this way. Are you of the opinion that those bad people are being stopped? In our, from doing that stuff in our current system you're so, comparing the best case scenario for democracy versus the worst case scenario of anarchy yeah democracy in the same way that it guarantees the bad guys are in charge democracy guarantees that some level of badness is legitimized so the ones that don't want to be full-on like gangsters become cops or politicians though they're still doing essentially a protection racket right right but like, all of the incompetent people that get into politics and government what's what's really the check and balances when's the last time anybody real super high up really faced any accountability for incompetence best case scenario they might get in trouble for an outright criminal act nobody gets punished for incompetence but if you have a voluntary system, if I decide to hire this person to be in charge of, you know, the, these topics and they f mess it up, I almost said the F word. I forgot this is going to be on the radio. Um, if that person screws it up, then I say, okay, unsubscribe. And then I hire somebody better. Right. In a democracy, if the people in charge are messing up, you've got to cross your fingers that an election comes up and the majority of people agree with you. Right, that's true. And I think, but I think the way the way to do that, and uh, and unlike than the point there where he talked about uh, kings being made a head shorter, 
Um, I'm not I'm not advocating for executing any politicians. Let me make that clear. Um, but we don't really if things are going badly, we don't really blame the institution of the prime minister or the president. We blame that guy. So then instead of just this whole organization sucks, let's try a different one. It's let's swap out the mascot. Right. There's no accountability for the process. It all just gets, there's just a parade of new scapegoats. This person gets elected until they screw up so badly that everybody gets mad at them. And then this guy comes in saying, Hey, that person screwed up. I'm going to do better. And then you let them in until they screw up enough for somebody else to come along and be like, that guy's bad guy. To, to, uh, to add, add to your point and to, to dovetail on your point, the, I think that the institution is so broken that even if you wanted to do well in, in this current system, and I, I can only speak to the U S government, even if you want to do well in the government, you, you are held back by all of the bureaucracy of the government of, to actually accomplish anything. Let's be, be fair. I've lived my life now through six or seven, six, six presidents, seven presidents. Anyways, the, the nobody nothing really drastic has changed right i mean the minor things have changed but no president has been able to accomplish like anything that is uh, really progressive right things have only mildly changed over time so even the best elected official can't get through the bureaucracy and and red tape and and but the this this idea of becoming more progressive is kind of a scam like i've i've got another book out there that i can uh talk about like almost all of these current institutions that we have was because some shady swindler back in the day said, Hey, can you believe that we're just letting people do this on their own? We need, you need me to come in and, you know, make sure that everybody's getting it the best that they can, which almost ensures that nobody will. So like, I've got a book out there that talks about the progressive era. This was in like the pre-World War One, where like there's a whole chapter about, you know, the railroads and how they were all kind of independently operating and competing with each other for rates and, you know, just how, how the level of service and just a various different thing. And people would voluntarily, if they wanted to use a train to ship or travel or whatever, they would hire this company based on their particular needs and they're competing with each other, but then they decided, no, 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 we need government regulations in there. And they, they always sell it as this is so that the poor consumer doesn't get price gouged. So we need to set like a standard price for whatever. And like, there was all kinds of stuff about like a set price per mile, but then they would just make the roots needlessly like long and loopy and not like a direct thing just to juice that. And they would have, and they, they, what would, what would happen though, they would standardize like a set price. So basically if this company is more efficient at doing it, they can't charge less. So it, it eliminates like the innovations like that, where somebody could offer a different version of the same service added better price. Or same price, better service, something like that. In a voluntary system, the person that gets that dollar is the one that offers either the cheapest, best, or ideally both service. So they 
colluded together to have these government regulations to have like a set price. And I, I think they tried to like cartel cartelize themselves and just kind of do it. And they had kind of like gentlemen's agreements, the bosses of all the companies, but then there'd always be like one person that would see an opportunity to like win a big customer and be like, Hey, if you come with me, I'll give you like a discount and kind of an under the table thing. And that's, they just kept stabbing each other in the back. So that's when you need government to come in to make sure that the least efficient guys don't have any competition from the more efficient guys. Cause it's a set price for everybody. And that's kind of what happened. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it, anybody would argue that over time in our lifetimes, things have gotten more and more regulated and the government has grown. Are things getting better? Is the income disparity improving? Are the poor people getting a better shake than the rich and powerful? No. Regulations go up and so does all of these disparities because the people that have their thumb on the scale who get to decide what the rules are always have more access to the people making the rules. And so that ensures that the rules are going to be all of the rules is basically rigging it for somebody towards somebody else. They sell it as if we leave this alone, the rich people are going to rig it for themselves. So we need to go in and rig it and on behalf of the poor people, but that's almost never what actually happens. It's still just the rich people benefiting like over COVID where essential services and stuff, all the small mom and pop shops had to close, but Walmart and Costco, they were McDonald's, open. Yeah. Yeah. And the same thing with minimum wage. It's not McDonald's that is crying about how they can't afford an extra dollar an hour. It's the person that runs their own convenience store that just that would hire somebody for this many dollars per hour to kind of sweep up. But the minimum amount that they have to pay is this, whatever the minimum wage, and it's just not worth me to pay $15 an hour for somebody to sweep my floor. So I'll just do it myself. The real minimum wage is zero. Yeah. So, and that, that's, that's kind of how it goes, whatever system it is, whether it's farming or whatever, or, or, you know, banking and that kind of stuff. It's, it all just, it's sold as the bad guys would rig it for themselves. So we need to step in and rob you to ensure that these other bad guys don't rob you. That's a tough one. I, 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 I hesitate to use the word bad. I don't, I don't know. But and like mm. one of the other points that he that he makes in here that he didn't really get into there as far as like a monarchy versus a democracy. One of his points that he makes that I don't know if I buy it or not, but it sounds reasonable. It's a good argument that like, you know, private property, like I am going to maintain my own house better than if this was just a community house that anybody could come and go as they please. It would get trashed. It's called the tragedy of the commons. So in a monarchy, it's not as good as like anarcho-capitalism would be basically everything is privately owned and maintained by whoever owns it or whoever they delegate. So in a monarchy though, that's the closest thing to private ownership because in a certain way, the king or the queen owns the kingdom that's that's something that they benefit from and it's something if this kingdom is thriving then they've got that much more that they can hand off to their heirs so they've kind of got skin in the game to not ruin the whole thing whereas in a democracy the incentives for the 
leaders are to just pillage as much as you can while you're there. So like a president has a maximum eight years in office, get what you can do as many favors for as many people as you can in those eight years. And then you're out and you're set up nice for your post-presidency. You don't really care what happens in nine years because it's not yours. I think I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. The, I think we, we should, there's a whole, there's a whole broken mindset there in that we should all have skin in the game. For the sake of the planet, for the sake of you know, yeah, but you know, sh- should a- isn't what is right. I, I get it. Most right. most of these policies are based on what should, but right, it's not real. But what I'm but what I'm saying is the system is broken because th- we have one planet. We are we are uh, living on this planet with these all these other species, and and it's not being taken care of well. Um, the, there is short sightedness, like you said, to, uh, for a president to be in office and only think about what they can gain in the eight years that they're in office, or if they're a senator for for four years and or they can for life, um, to not think about the next generation and the next generation, and the next generation. You know, they they say a wise man. They think so- about their own next generation. Like if a politician can get rich while they're in office that's where the incentive lies and they, they have a nice life that they can pass on to their own kids. That's where their priorities are. Right. But what they're handing on is whatever they can pillage in the short term. Whereas it's the kingdom itself that is the kind of constant that goes on. So like if, if you, if you're in office and you set yourself up nice so that you can take care of your family and send all your kids off to university and have a nice life, doesn't really matter if you've ruined life for 75% of the other people in the country. Yeah. And we're also, I mean, to, to your point as well, the, the, uh, the disparity between the rich and poor, I think I, I, I read a statistic the other day. I think it was, it's like, Oh man, I can't remember, but it, it, it's, it's the disparity the, the, between the, the rich and the poor. The disparity I can see why it seems like an issue but it really shouldn't be about how wide that gap is it really should be how are the people at the bottom doing if they're if the people at the bottom are doing better today than they were 10 years ago i still think that's a success it doesn't really matter if you're here what this guy up here is doing really unless they're actively like somehow taking away from you which is how you know capitalism is scapegoated that's not real but it really should be like whoever the people that are worse off like now i mean there's people in the streets and there's all kinds of homeless people that's definitely a problem and i'm not sure what to do about that or anything but like the average household maybe not the like the complete bottom of complete people that have nothing but people that are struggling are doing better than the equivalent poor person in 1950. They've got cars, phones, nice TVs, a refrigerator, running water. Some places, there's in Mississippi now, I think is a problem. Yeah, but uh, Flint, Michigan, there's yeah, there's lots of places. With but as a whole, the average poor person in 2022 is living like a king compared to the same level of poverty in 1922. But don't you think that's some, some, in some part due to government regulation? No, that's despite they'd probably be doing better because nothing gets fixed. All of the stuff that's too expensive that poor people don't have access to are all of the stuff that's the most tightly, tightly regulated education, uh, healthcare, all of that stuff. 
that stuff that stuff just becomes more and more worse and expensive as time goes on so it gets to a point where you're like well this poor person can't afford to spend 10 grand if they break their arm and go to the hospital Mm -hmm. so the solution is always well let's extract an extra 10 grand from the population and give it to them and pay for that instead of like hey why does it cost ten thousand dollars to get a broken arm fixed? Nobody's looking at that when they're they've got the student debt relief thing. Nobody's looking at why does it somebody need to go into fifty grand of debt to get a university degree? They just throw money at it, so that just continues to make the price go up and makes it that much more inaccessible. Whereas stuff that isn't as tightly regulated in businesses, when it's more of a free market. And more of a voluntary thing like computers and TVs and stuff like that. Over time, that gets cheaper and better. Anything that's paid for by these government policies gets worse and more expensive over time. It's the complete opposite. Like what you can, what what level of TV you can get now for five hundred dollars would be insane compared to what you could get for $500 in 1960. Oh, you remember the floor model TVs that weighed like a hundred. Uh, like 200 pounds it was those like, probably pay, those probably cost like 1500 bucks and it's just a little tube tv that had three channels on it i've got a widescreen tv up there that is bigger than anything that those people have ever seen and it costs half as much probably it's true no i got it i got a 42 inch flat screen at uh during black friday shopping at walmart for like 90 bucks but in in a system where it's voluntary the, whoever these shady bad guys are that would take advantage of people, it's a lot more expensive to be a bad guy than it is to be a good guy. Like if you if you're if you're offering health care, it's more efficient for you to keep everybody healthy and costs down. If you're offering public health care, it's in your system to have no preventative care and wait until people have catastrophic illnesses and then charge a big ton of money to medicare to cover it that's where the incentives lie it wants to be inefficient but then by charging by that then doing that when you privatize like i have private health insurance right through my job which i pay for um because those prices are high so so the the private industry of hospital can then can charge what they want and get the money out of the government through medicare yeah well that's that's the worst of both worlds when you've got the socialism mixed with the private and then my then my insurance like when i go to the hospital i still have to pay that tremendous amount of money for whatever procedure I'm having um, because it's, it's the prices are jacked up by the hospital because they know they're going to collect that money from. Yeah. Medicare. Like the, the system that you have, when I talk about, like, I think on the whole, a private healthcare system would be better, but not what you guys have. You've got the crony system where it's still very regulated. Like you can't just buy an MRI machine and learn and hire a technician who knows how to use it and run that out of your garage and mm-hmm. offer discount MRIs <laughs> that wouldn't hurt anybody um, because it's so very tightly regulated. And even in the States, if I want to open a new private hospital in your town, I need to get permission from the existing hospitals. They go and ask them and say, Hey, do you think that we need another hospital in town? And these people that want the maximum profit say, now we're good. They'd rather have a line out the door than to have an extra building siphoning off some of their customers and 
increasing the level of healthcare available for everybody. Yeah. I went to a private uh, hospital in, in Bangor for uh, something job related. Um, I won't mention the name of the business, but uh, it was basically like the, the family dollar of hospitals. It was probably the grossest, uh, most poorly run, uh, understaffed institution. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like an emergency room. They weren't like dealing with, with massive injuries. They were mostly doing uh, physical examinations of people for uh, pre-job doing drug testing, doing fit testing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it was really, really, it was horrific. I mean, it was gross. It was dirty. It was, uh, it was understaffed. It was disorganized and it was privately controlled. And it was the first time I'd ever been in a, in a place like that. Yeah, no, I don't mind so much that that kind of thing exists. It should be an option. Like if it should be a situation where if you're willing to endure all of that nonsense, but it costs half as much as the guy next door, depending on what you need, you might go in. Like it's, it's, it's like, well, giant tiger exists for people that want that level of quality in their products. But the existence of like a store that sells nice clothes and good groceries doesn't really hurt that. And somebody that can afford to go to Sobeys is fine going to Sobeys and somebody who's like giant tigers, not as good, but it's cheaper. And it's, it's that balance of quality and, and price and where you land and how you, how much you're willing to pay for how good of a product it's really based on the individual. And that's where the, the kind of free market comes in where the people that want to pay a little bit extra for a nice building are welcome to. And anybody that wants to go down to Walmart to get their leg fixed, that's an option for them. It's right. not as good of an option as somebody else has, but in like a public, it just makes everything Walmart. Right. It makes it so that, you know, the, the high end version isn't allowed to exist. Which is currently where I think we're at in the, in the U S with our med medical system. Well, well even, even here, they keep floating out having a private option. So we're still going to have our public health care system, but they want to be allowed to have a private doctor's office set up. And yes, it will be more affluent people that have access to that, but rich guy being able to go to this doctor doesn't hurt poor guy. That's been waiting in the hotel in the hospital for 12 hours to get looked at. Yeah. I just heard they close it, up. It, it, it frees up more resources for the, they just Public closed one. the ER in Sussex from eight thirty to right from eight eight thirty at night till eight thirty in the morning. That Sussex ER won't be open. I think the Macadam closed their ER, and I think that a bunch of places have closed down their their medical facilities uh, across the province. I listen to CBC a, on, on occasion. Um, well, that's your problem, right? I should be listening to College Radio and yeah, St. Uh, John Forward Radio. Which actually, hang on, Let's, we're halfway through, so we gotta. I've got to remind the people what they're uh, what they're listening to. We've got the high tech version of a station ID instead of me just saying it. Nailed and terrified. Nailed and terrified. Nailed and terrified. You're listening to 107.3 St. John Ford Radio. Creepier. Hi. You're listening to 107.3 <laughs> St. John Ford Radio. Hmm. Nailed it. Terrifying. Uh, Arif Hussein. Yep. Uh, Co-host of uh, Four Story Walk Up, which uh, we might do this week. We're down. We're down one, Brian. So if uh, 
We'll have to find somebody that can fill those tiny shoes. Yeah. He has little feet, doesn't he? I think he does I, have I vaguely feet. remember him he having little feet. feet. He has a little feet. He was hysterical last night at punchlines, by the way. Yeah. So uh we can we can transition out of the uh the politics and get into comedy. This is your is this your first set in ten months? This was last my, night? my first set in ten months. The last time I was here, I was at punchlines. Um I haven't driven up for an open mic. I haven't done done the no jokes bard or the five and dime or any of the any of the things that have been happening. Why are you so lazy? Uh well, I'm the exact opposite of lazy. I'm super, super busy. Um I have been uh, doing weddings and funerals and taking college classes. And uh, I've been working on the homestead and it's just been, it's been nuts, man. And two, I get two small children at home um, trying to renovate the entire house slowly, but not, not at the same time, but you know, trying to renovate the entire house before winter. Um, it's just, I bit life got crazy. You know, you can't have a single Saturday night off. Uh, it's been, it's been crazy. I, I right. promise you could look at my, you could look at my schedule. I will make time in the fall to come up and do no jokes part. I, I promise you that. Oh, I like that. I, well, I need, and you know, what's funny is I actually was thinking before I came up on Friday, I was thinking like, I wish I had just done one open mic or one showcase before, before last night, because um, if I, I can tell the people here, because you know, in, in some places they don't hire comedians for a ticketed show that pays money when they haven't set foot on stage in 10 months. Well, but, uh, I, so Julie had booked me um, like, months ago and life just got out of control. I had a bunch of stuff come up, family emergencies, et cetera. There's still zoom shows going on. Would that be uh have you popped on any of those lately? I haven't popped on any zoom shows. As you know, it's not really, it seems kind of insane that they're still happening at this point. It must, it must like self-select for exclusively insane people that are still terrified to leave their houses. Yeah. No, I don't know why else he would do it. It's, it was better than nothing when there was no other option exactly but the fact that they're going on still at any i mean the hybrid thing where you're filming a live show in front of an audience that is also being beamed out to the internet that somebody could watch at home that's that's fine i mean having the extra non-interactive audience doesn't really hurt anything but uh yeah yeah, those uh, those Zoom ones were pretty soul crushing. They were pretty soul crushing. You, it you, was better than nothing, though. The one I I only found uh, the Zoom shows fun when actually you and I did a couple together when when the audience members were allowed to participate. Yeah. When there were Zoom shows where it was just like you do your stand up set and people can hear you, but they you can't hear their response. That was terrible. I mean, that was like like doing your stand up comedy act in a mirror. It was absolutely not satisfying, and I don't think it was very good. I think I, th no. I, I think you need there, that people to people there's interaction. A, there's a way, and it becomes worse the more and more people try to translate the same presentation of it in that context as the same as if it was on stage. So, like, it was always funny when we'd see somebody on the Zoom shows that have like the microphone and they're standing up and acting like they're delivering it to an audience and like pausing for the laugh, like yeah. for the same amount of time, it, like just seeing somebody standing with a microphone in front of their fireplace on a zoom chat was just goofy. It was very goofy. <laughs> I mean, I, I tried to the handful of times that I did it. Like I tried to, the delivery was more the same way. Like we're doing a podcast, like there's no audience right now, but 
this doesn't feel as awkward as a Zoom call, even though there isn't like participation. Yeah, because I think we're we're just having a conversation. People are watching our conversation, listening to our conversation. Yeah, and it, and it's it, it's more of a thing with um, not that we're not amateurs, but you know, people that their live presentation is kind of an act. Like I try to, I find that I'm at my best when I can dial back the showman a little bit and talk in the way that I would be talking to like somebody sitting directly in front of me. So having a more podcast delivery in that format, I was slightly less awkward. I, I find in every, every show that I do, if I can be more myself on stage, I do better. If I, if I'm trying to like re read rehearse lines, if I'm telling a story, that's funny. That's that's the bit that I want to do. I, I have to tell it as if I'm, as if I'm, talking to people like I have to communicate this story to them as if I was talking to them in, in the break room at work or whatever. Yeah. And it always, it always hits. But when I try to like rehearse the lines and do it the exact same way, every time it fails. Um, I, I could, I've got some bits where it gets to like the words don't change a whole lot, but I, I know it so well that I can't, it's there's still, even though if I'm saying like the script, there's still some looseness in there where I, if something happens, I can have a quick little pop off and then eat, like Bob and weave back into the prepared. Um, but I, I've, I've talked about this before, but like when I used to sit down more when I was doing stand up, that was an effort to, cause when I'd stand up, I'd be like, Hey, how you know, I'm John forward and we're doing comedy now. And like, when I sit down, I'm more in my like normal pacing and it's more me i guess and i dial it back i haven't been sitting down as much lately just because it depends on the situation if if it's a really good audience that is engaged and i've got them and they i can indulge a little bit and i can slow down and i can have a seat and like keep their attention but if i'm at like an open mic and you kind of need to just beg for people's attention sitting down doesn't help so I, I have to kind of turn on it's it's the kind of balance where I have to dial up the showman a notch, which turns down the authenticity a notch. And you've, it's, it's there's a level. But don't you feel like like it's it's a human signal, like an inherent, not inherent. But I think we've learned over time that um, when a person is standing in a room, they're the person that's commanding your your attention. And the person who's sitting and speaking quietly is not the person that you're going to pay attention to. And but so, it, could, it could also be the the opposite of that. I got a piece of advice from the uh, the late Mike McDonald, Canadian comedian, because he he he. I don't think he sits down, but he talks very very quietly. And it, there's also kind of a sort of different way around to the alpha move of commanding the room by like, this is what's happening, and you better pay attention. And if, if you're, if I'm talking like this, as opposed to like yelling and, and screaming and stuff, it's, there's kind of a confidence to that. Like you're going to come to me. Right. And I mean, if you're good enough to sustain that, if, if you're doing that and you also suck, that's not a good recipe. Yeah. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm can a, be, if, I'm a, if, a, if, a, if, if, if I've got the hooks in, in the audience and I've got them, the quieter that I talk, the more they kind of have to pay attention to catch it. Yeah, I have to be loud and uh, and obnoxious. I just, I, I'm, but that's why I'm in, in real life too. So like, loud, loud and obnoxious is my go-to. And uh, and and I don't know if I'll ever be able to change and just be like the quiet, commanding respect by the. You go the into it if you're telling a story and you get to kind of a serious or an emotional part. You 
it, it slows down and you're not, uh, you're not a carnival barker for those segments. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would have been a great carnival barker in a past life, but the salary was right. I'd, I'd Give us a it. taste. A taste of what? Barking. Um, step right up, ladies and gentlemen, step right up. We've got some wonderful rides. We've got some wonderful games. I think you can enjoy yourself here at the Giles Landia fair. And that's a little, you know, let me see what I can do. Let's see what I can pull off. <clears throat> step right up. Step right up. Come see the most amazing show you've ever seen in your whole life. One night only. Tell your friends to come back tomorrow. Good one. See, I can turn it up when I want to. Yeah. But that's that, not me. I'm yeah. doing a character. Yeah. Circus Park. You're a great actor. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. He's got skills. John Eight. Ford. Not good enough to be in Mullinger's show, though. No, hey, I tried to get into that thing too. You know that. So James yeah. Mullinger, if you're if you're watching right now, you have definitely two, watching. He's my number one fan. James Mullinger, uh, if you want two talented, beautiful men in your in your sitcom, um, I think we're. I will. I will prostitute myself mm -hmm. to that to that uh, level. I don't know what. I'll, I mean, I pay. I pay you to be in the sitcom at first, and then tell you know you started making money, and then I'd expect a check. I don't know what level of prostitution I'm, uh, you know, if it would be somebody that's just on the other side, I would have sex with them voluntarily. <laughs> I'll, I'll dial it down like a little bit. I'll All lower right. the standards just, just enough. I don't, I don't know if James himself is at that level, but you know, there's probably some, somebody in the cast that's, uh, just below what I would do without any benefit to myself and personally. Yeah. But, yeah. But anyway, let's. Uh, oh, I know what I wanted to do. I, we uh, we were talking. We ninety nine problems by uh, by Jay Z came on last night at uh, at Rockies. One and, of my faves. Uh, we were we were jamming out. I told you last night that there's actually an Ice T song that that came out first that that is based on. So I, I thought I could uh, I could play that for you uh, right now. So we've got this is from nineteen ninety three. Uh, we've got uh, Ice T doing uh, his version of uh, of Ninety Nine Problems, which was made uh, made famous by uh, J Jason Zed. I, <laughs> I don't know what the J stands for. Maybe it's Jason. It's one of my favorite songs. Um, so this this is a cool song too. It's a little more old school. It sounds very nineteen ninety three. It's Ice T featuring uh, Brother Marquis from Two Live Crew. Oh, right on. Yeah, so uh, we're gonna hear that right now. 99 problems, but a reverend ain't one. Hang on. Is this playing through the, the earphones or was no. it just playing through my phone? Just playing through your phone. All right. Hold on. All right. John's Bluetoothing it. Let's, uh, let's switch. I got 99 the, problems. Uh, John Ford ain't one. Here. Hit me. I was just bragging about how, uh, how much better the setup was here. Yeah, last year a lot of motherfuckers asked me why I didn't do no sex nasty shit. But this year I went down to Miami and got my nigga from Two Live, brother Marquise in the house. Yeah, I'm the motherfucking nigga. Yeah, we gonna answer the question about girl problems. All these niggas is having girl problems, Mark. Oh, tell them, man. Tell them. Let me tell you what time it is. I got a hope from the east, got a hope from the west. Got to hold it like a jacket off and rub it in a chest. I got a hope from the north, a hope from the south. I hold it like a sucking long and hold it in our mouth. I got a bitch with hair, a bitch with none, a bitch with a knife, a bitch with a gun, a bitch with ass big as a TV set. And there's a bitch over there, hey, the one I'm gonna get the yo, but maybe not. She might not like me though. No sweat to a vet, I'll slam my sister though. Word. 
I send the whole damn herd. I fuck them all and leave them on the curb. I got a bitch with a mink who has a fat gold link. Who like to fuck me with their ass up on the kitchen sink. Got a bitch with tits, a bitch with ass, a bitch with none. But hey, I give her a pass and I love them all. I love them crazily and they love me back. That's why they stay with me. So if you're having girl problems, I'll put that for your son. Got 99 problems and a bitch ain't one. Hit it. No, nah, bitch ain't one. I got a bitch that's old, a bitch that's new, a bitch who loves velvet and the color's blue. I got a bitch who's fat, a bitch who's built, a bitch who all the titties give out pot of milk. I got a bitch who's funny, a bitch who ain't, a bitch who can sing, a bitch who can't, a bitch who loves fucking on an airplane. I even got a bitch off Soul Train. I got a bitch who rolls a ragtop bins. Long ends. I got a bitch who's broke as a bum. But she's the most fun. I got a bitch who plays piano. A bitch who don't. A bitch who dances naked. A bitch who won't. A bitch who's short. A bitch who's tall. A bitch who burns my pager with priority calls. And I love them all. I love them crazily. And they love me back. That's why they stay with me. So if you're having girl problems, I'll put that for your son. Got 99 problems and a bitch ain't one. Hit me. Yo, Marquise, you from Miami, man. Why don't you show these motherfuckers all over the world the two live style of how the bitches treat a motherfucking fly nigga like you? I got 99 problems and a bitch ain't one of them. I don't trip on hoes cause I don't need none of them. Pussy the temptation, dicks the persuasion, all hoes suck cock, nigga, how you playing? That's why I don't sleep on them, I just freak on them. The dick in they mouth, take it out and I ski on them. The nigga the one-nighter, the bitch exciter. I only love my hoes when I'm going up inside them. Problem number one is getting money. I'd rather taste the green than sip the honey. So don't expect nothing, cause I ain't offering. I go hard on my bitches, cause I'm never, never softening. Putting a demand on them, fuck them and scram on them. The wham bam, thank you ma'am, game is ran on them. So fuck how you feel, your fucking cheap thrill. I hope you took the pill, cause I won't pay the bill. Getting pussy's just another expense. If pussy pays the bills, then dick pays the rent. I only need a hope for one thing, and that's to come. I got 99 problems and a bitch ain't one. Ha! Yo, Marquise, my motherfucker, you got problems, man? A bitch ain't one. Aw, oh, shit. Let me tell you how to do this shit. I got a bitch that loves the jig. She'll fuck you right after she fucks me. I got a bitch who loves boats. I got a bitch who loves handcuffs and rope. I got a bitch that's fast, a bitch that's slow. A bitch that's a virgin and a bitch that's a hoe. A bitch that lies, a bitch that's true. A bitch who's a man because that bitch is true. I got a bitch that's cool, a bitch that's hot. A bitch who loves rap, a bitch who loves rock. A bitch who's lost and one who knows where it's at. She gets up under me and purrs like a cat. I got a bitch that runs, I got a bitch that walks. I got a bitch that yells, I got a bitch who talks. I got a bitch that's dirty, got a bitch that's neat. I got a super fine bitch that I knocked in the swap meet and I love them all. I love them crazily and they love me back. That's why they stay with me. So if you're having girl problems, I feel bad for your son. I got 99 problems and a bitch ain't one. Hit me. No, a bitch ain't one. Huh, you know a bitch ain't one. You know what I'm saying? I got problem my motherfucking rent, Marquis. But a bitch ain't one. Man, you got yourself nothing, man. Fuck the raggedy, stank ass hoes, nigga. A bitch ain't one. I got problems staying out here on the street with these police trying to take a nigga out, you know? But a bitch ain't one. Got problems motherfuckers buying my records. A but bitch a bitch ain't one. Fuck them all, nigga. Fuck them motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? A bitch ain't one. Got problems, man. All the motherfuckers can kiss my motherfucking ass. Really? 99 problems.
on St. John Forward Radio. What do you think of that one? I, I love that song. That would make uh, Megan the Stallion blush. That song. That's uh, that was intensely uh, dirty. But I. But that was the whole scene it's back fun, then, though. right? That was like well, this is with the two live crew guys, like me so horny. Yeah. This uh, this album is, uh, and he talked about like at the beginning, he's like about doing like a sex rap. This is when Ice T is more like gangster. So this is kind of some of his older stuff was a little bit more uh, funky like that. So yeah, pre was, pre Law and Order. Yeah, definitely pre pre, -Law, pre -Law, and Law and Order. Order. That was <laughs> that was one of his. And I when I was in uh, junior high, the Body Count album was my favorite. Um, we were we were all so excited to hear Ice T do metal and also to and i he, came to it later but i definitely am, am into that first body count album it was it was so good and it there was two and you could get two versions at record down in callus there was a version that was like censored and then they, they yeah, i don't know it. if they've got the uh cop killer let's see if they've got it on spotify i'm guessing no yeah cop killer yeah they replaced it with that freedom of speech one that has jello biafra talking about censorship and stuff oh yeah no i haven't heard that one um yeah, they, they used to be, I think they put the, on the, when they had to re-release the album without uh, Cop Killer on it, they they replay, they added this freedom of speech song. Oh, right on. I'll have yeah. to check it out. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, Cop Killer, controversial song at the time. Hey, what you doing? I'm eating these donuts. I remember once there was, years ago, there was, uh, there was like some shootings in Moncton. Um, somebody like shot some police. And uh, I remember just tweeting out, um, this is obviously Ice-T's fault. That, that was it. Just that one sentence. And like May texted me. She's like, are you kidding me? You like, it's, it's pretty subtle. I don't know if anybody, I don't know. It, it is in poor taste, but I don't know. I was, I was bullied into uh, removing it. I said, I some, still, re I still regret caving on that though. I said some things on stage last night that were in poor taste. They were too soon and, and I, I shouldn't have said them, but they were funny. It wasn't that bad. It didn't do well. I don't, I think it's necessarily because uh, people were offended. Yeah. You're just, you're just trash. It was just a terrible joke. <laughs> yeah. It was a terrible joke. Last so, so how did it feel that we, we talked about the lead up and the dearth of experience. How do you feel <laughs> having been on stage after uh, not? So so I felt really good by the end of the show. I was feeling very, very good. I'm feeling very good after this cocktail, by the way. Um, but I, I was feeling uh, I was feeling terrible that first my first uh, 10 minutes up. I literally um, we have a colloquialism in comedy. Um, you eat your genital regions uh, when you're not doing well. I won't. I don't know if I, I can think say. we can say dick. Yeah. It's, so it's so it's relevant to the context. Here. Yeah. So so when a comic is on stage, uh, male or female, and they don't do well, you say I ate my dick. Um, and now, there is some built-in misogyny and homophobia, homophobia in that. It implies that people who uh, perform fellatio on a penis are somehow lesser. I always thought it was more about the cannibalizing <laughs> of genitals. I didn't think it was like, uh, I thought it was like a, a, the most horrific thing that can happen yeah, I to get, you. Well, eating. I, I, yeah, yeah, I guess it doesn't necessarily need to be. I, I imagined it as yeah. equivalent to sucking. Yeah, no, I thought of it as like cannibalizing your own penis. Okay. So... That's that's a different picture that it paints. Yeah, so it's just the most awful thing that can happen, and that's what happened to me last night. I was on stage, uh, and, and since I can say it, I ate my dick, um, and got off stage, and immediately knew that I had, uh, you know, I've been in comedy for a very, very long time. I'm an amateur, but I've been doing comedy for, man, I'm since my my twenties, and I'm 45 now. Um, Total stage time works out to about three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so. 
Uh, <laughs> you only do a show once every ten months, right? I used to do it a lot when I was in, when I was younger in Portland and Boston. I, I would be on stage. Like Why is six there? Is there? Is there? Uh, I know there's comedy going on in Portland. Mm-hmm. Is that closer than coming here? No way. Portland is like four hours away from okay. me. St. John is like an hour and 15. Nothing, nothing in in between? Not really. Bangor doesn't have a scene. If Bangor had a scene, I'd like to go to Bangor, but there's no scene down there. So Start one up. I know. If I, you build it, they'll come. Yeah. Put on some shows and bring us into Bangor to get the ball rolling, and then maybe we'll inspire a whole new batch of, uh, what do you call Bangor people? Bangorites? Ba- uh, Bangorese? I don't know what you call them. I, I, and I'm from there, so I, don't, I have no idea. Bangor, call in. Yeah. Hang on. Bangers. I gotta turn turn off the. uh, I don't usually. uh, I forgot about that. That's supposed to be the scroll on the bottom for the whole show. People have been listening for fifty-two minutes and they have no idea to what. Oh, you are listening to local one hundred seven three FM St. John Ford Radio. Oh wait, no, this is the one that I put on at the beginning. Before there's usually like a pre. uh, I just turn it on. Um, no, this is the one that's actually going on, but anyway, um, so, so the show went well, I think, I think once I got re- relaxed, I oh, get up on stage hosting Kathleen McGee. Yeah. Kathleen McGee was, was the, uh, the headliner. I've, I've known her and done many shows with her over the years. She has slept in this basement in on, the ba- on the air mattress. I believe you didn't, she didn't sleep on the couch. I always sleep on the couch when I'm here. I don't. Uh, well, I think now uh, we've we've had to make uh, COVID sleeping arrangements, so I, I carved. There's enough room on the floor right outside the door there for the air mattress, which is better than the couch. Yeah, I don't so know if, if, I can... you, if you stay again, we can. You get more privacy. You're not farting into my couch. <laughs> I may may or may not have done that, but will Tachi come down and sleep with me though when I'm down here? Tachi he might come down. Uh, he's uh, you know. He's a free agent, so he doesn't like to stay put anywhere. He might come down and wander around. He might just walk around on you, meow for no reason, and then take off. I love Tachi Um, I don't know if I want to sleep down here. There's a bunch of creepy stuff down here. There's like the the dolls from from was it Master of Puppets? What was the name of the movie? Puppet Pu- Master. Puppet Master. Yeah, from the from the eighties. Really, really creepy. There's they're all down here. Mm-hmm. Donnie Darko over there. Rabbit oh, it's Frank, Dark. technically. Frank? But, uh, yeah, I think it's Frank the Bunny. Yeah. It's been a while since I've watched it. It's very creepy in this basement. I'd be yeah. terrified to sleep down here. So, uh, so yeah, the uh, started out rough. Yep. Oh, over, you, 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 you kind of found your, uh, your rhythm. Well, as soon as I started to engage with people, as soon as I started to, like, engage with the audience, which I think, I think... Well, I think it's easy. This happens to me, especially when I do a show at Punchlines or, to, like, Chuckles back in the day. I have like a pre, I have a bit that I'm planning on doing, but I usually like kind of to think of something kind of in the moment to be like the first thing that I say, I'll either riff on something that the person before me said or something that about being in the room. And sometimes I have something that's obviously not been tested. I just thought of it as kind of like, this is going to be the first thing that they hear out of my mouth. And I think it's funny. And if that dies, then it's it that's if that's the opening salvo of the battle it's going to be a tough go yeah absolutely i think and, I, and it throws it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because just when it doesn't land you can you can people don't necessarily notice that you just t- whiffed a joke you just said a thing that didn't get a laugh they don't know that you were expecting a laugh necessarily right. so you can bluff your way through it and just go right into the next thing but just the shock to the the self esteem mm-hmm. 
when I I thought this was going to be super. Like I had one. Um, it was it was at Punchlines, and they they had gotten like a new a new like uh, Chuckles Comedy Club sign printed, but it was it was like a flat wooden thing and i made some joke about how like there it was there wasn't actual light bulbs around the sign it was just like a picture of light bulbs around the sign and i was and shane was like super proud of of the sign and he was like hey check it out all night so i wanted to say something about you know if we uh, if we get a little bit more uh, successful then maybe someday they can ha- they can have a sign built with actual light bulbs <laughs> instead of a picture of light bulbs That's and funny. i thought that was funny and then people were like yeah and i like it's not hilarious and like that and like i could have just gone into something from there they don't even sometimes if a joke is as long as long as it's not upsetting people if it doesn't get a laugh they don't even know that it was trying to be a joke that's the most soul crushing (laughs) when they're like oh wait were you were you doing something there i did a couple of things wrong last night that on stage that i can i can tell you what exactly why i went wrong be mindful of the time couple minutes only got a couple minutes so so i i just i'll just say this i um i pointed out the fact that my jokes were bombing one two i went too soon to blaming the audience there was a girl in the front who had kind of a stoic look on her face i didn't give her time to engage with me before i was like what you don't think i'm funny i was only up there for like 30 seconds and i was already accusing her of not liking me yeah there was a bit of that there was a yeah and this guy who doesn't like me and yeah (laughs) yeah and and that was there's I mean, so, sometimes if you're bombing and you know you can't get out, that's a that's a hail mary. But you, right, that's if you're if you're jumping right to that. Yeah, I jumped right to it, and I and I didn't uh, prepare any material right at the beginning. A host a host job is probably one of the hardest jobs in the show because you have to a get the audience warmed up. You're doing all the foreplay, and then the other thing is is in between comics, you have to make sure you keep the level of energy up for the next comic coming up and the next comic yeah. coming up. And and keep the the show flowing along nicely, and and also to- the be- the benefit of I've never hosted at Punchlines, but this and I don't think this is the case anywhere else. That's like a bigger show like that. Julie will go up and eat the bullet of talking about the sponsors. The yeah. comedian host doesn't need to do any of that, which, which is, is which awesome. is nice. Yeah, because that's nobody wants to hear or say those words, right? Um, so that the comedian doesn't have to start out their comedy set with commercials is is great it is really fantastic julie and dale do a very good job um but you know i left like david miles holland hall there's a lot of names to say right there Uh, i'm gonna say it all day so i don't forget it for tonight um i left that poor kid a pile of garbage like when i brought him up on stage i handed that poor kid the worst case the alternative is which i've seen where the host is bombing and they keep bombing just trying to get that one laugh so that you can bring up the next person but it's just not coming and they've already dug themselves so deep where you could either bring them up to not a good time now or you can continue bombing for an additional five minutes trying to get a laugh that's not going to come and still bring them up to nothing right so sometimes you got to cut your losses that's what i did last ideally you want to have a good laugh and bring them up but if it's not coming but the the rest of the show went very well second set third set yeah. um the other thing that great and about J- being jason guptill said it completely turned around i found it was it was a tough room for for you and david and also for david you guys and david was i i i was laughing the audience was a little more reluctant yeah and i was like oh this is going to be a tough night 
but uh, Jason Guptel turned it around. I think that might be the uh, the best I've seen him. Yeah. But uh, um, the clock is ticking. I've got to finish this or it won't let me upload it if it's more than an hour. So Brian Giles, you've already done the shows by the time this comes out. Thanks for joining me. Uh, no Jokes Barred, Thursday, September 15th. Check it out. Good night. I don't think I Thank have you, St. John. Thank you, John outro. Ford, for the couch to sleep on and putting me on the podcast.